This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. And welcome to the PGA of Canada Tea Talks podcast. My name is Mark Rowe from TSN. Uh, so excited to chat with today's guest. And, you know, every time that we do one of these episodes, um, it's someone from a different area of whether it's golf or business or sports. And, you know, I, I love the variety. I love being able to talk to someone who maybe I don't necessarily run into in my daily work. Uh but today's guest is one of the reasons why I got into this business, and it's and it's to talk to people who are day to day working on a team or they're working on preparing for events. And this person is extremely successful. Uh, he is in his sixth season behind the bench as uh, for the Everett uh, Silver Tips. He is their head coach. He's in their second season as a general manager, and under his guidance. Uh, the team has earned four U.S. division titles, three conference regular season titles, and a Western Conference championship, as well as a lot of success in the classroom, which is obviously so important for a junior team, as well as the international professional stage. Um, our guest today presently has a record of 203, 66, 11, and 11. So he just earned a pretty milestone win, his 200th career win back in October. And I'm kind of bearing the lead here. Oh, oh! by the way, he was also uh, the head coach of Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championship. And oh, by the way, they won the gold because that's what our nation always expects from that team at the World Junior Hockey Championship, which sometimes is a little unfair, but uh, he delivered. Our guest today is Dennis Williams. Dennis, thanks so much for joining us. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Very excited to talk some hockey and sports and leadership and wherever the uh, conversation goes. Well, I was, I was joking just before, uh, you know, we started the episode that I was hosting a lot of sports centers during the tournament. And that's obviously our product and we, we love it. And we, you know, we're always reacting after the games and there was a lot of, and more here's Dennis Williams and I'm getting to hear from you. And then you're throwing it back. And now this, this is a little more personal, you and me here getting to chat. So um, I, I love it. And, you know, so many people listening, you know, followed this team, you know, day by day, and you get so emotionally attached for, for two weeks to, you know, a lot, sometimes a lot of players that you, you don't know, um, you certainly don't know on a personal level, but let's go through the journey because I think it's really important in the sense of, of your leadership role as a coach. And let's start on Boxing Day. Because there was so much hype going into this tournament. And there was even talk, this might be the best team Canada ever. Like, it would rival the Sidney Crosby and Patrice Bergeron team. And then you lose. You lose your first game to Czechia. Um, the expectations were enormous. So give us the behind-the-scenes look at how you reacted to that after the loss and how you approached the guys in the dressing room afterwards and trying to get over that obstacle and trying to make sure that they – reacted well from this loss yeah well I tried to forget that day a little bit uh, obviously <laughs> there was a lot of life lessons learned there 
a lot of coaching lessons were learned there as well. And as we always say to our, our players here, we, we win or, or, or we learn. And I think it was really important that for our group that twofold, we didn't show panic from a coaching staff. I thought it was important, but it also grounded us, you know, and I think a lot of players, a lot of people, um, you know, we're reading all the outside noise, you know, we call it about, as you just uh, talked about the greatest team possibly of all time. And we hadn't even played a game yet, you know, and, and we, it, it takes a bit. And I think what, when we went into that game, we, we felt good about ourselves. I didn't think we were overconfident, but we did get ourselves into some uh, discipline problems on the ice. And when that game got over the way it ended five, five, two, um, I think what it really did was it allowed us to have a hard reset. And the, the the one part that probably wasn't a fun part about this loss was we had to wait a whole day we were off. It wasn't like we had a back-to-back game and we can just forget about it, go play and, you know, just park it. So from a coaching standpoint, a player, we had to think about this for 48 hours and it's constantly in your head and it was in my head. And, uh, but the next day we had a day off from the rink. Uh, that was already a plan. A lot of people question that. I can't believe they're not going on the ice practicing their four check D's or whatever it is. Right. But we needed a break. And I think more than anything, we needed a, a, a mental break, a physical break, just stay away from everybody. And we did a, we had a great video session and obviously we have great leaders in that locker room uh, led by Shane, Wright. You know, and I, I relied on Shane a lot throughout the event. And, um, you know, we basically just said we, we, we had to learn from it. If we didn't learn from it, then we would have been in the same situation. So we kind of parked it. Uh, we talked about it. We got our mindset. We got our, our, our body straight. You know, everything was feeling good. And then obviously we, we got back on track. But everyone wants to go out and win all the games. And I think that's always the expectations of Canada to go 7-0 in the event. And, and really, at the end of the day, you could see how good that Chucky team was because even in the finals, uh, they they ran the table throughout it. And uh, But I go, I go back, and you never want to lose games. But if you had to lose a game, that was the one you'd want to lose. You know, because it uh, as you get uh, throughout the event, you want to make sure you're peaking at the right time and not lose a quarter or semifinal or final game. So I was proud of our response throughout it, uh, but definitely as a group, we we, we learned a lot about our, ourselves. Well, as, as you pointed out in terms of the plan the day after the loss, everyone has an opinion, right, on how you should run that team, right? Because because it's Team Canada and it's hockey, and everyone's a hockey expert in our in our country. And, and you know, you love the passion, and you love that everyone cares, but also you sometimes you just want to, I'm sure, say, I got this. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a coach. Just going back just a little bit before I ask you about more of that tournament, when, when hockey, and I know you were an assistant as well, but it, was there ever a part of you that said, you know what, this is a great honor to be asked, but I don't know because, you know, it's, it's gold or bust. Like, there's... You know, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to take away at all from the honor, but was there a part of you at all that said, maybe uh, I'm, I'm good without taking this role? No, well, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a uh, profession in a job that, you know, I say pressure is, is a privilege. If we get in that position, I tell our players that you want to have pressure in it. And if you're prepared, then at the end of the day, that, that pressure is not really in, in, involved in, in, in what decisions you're making. But the big thing that helped me, I thought, throughout that was twofold. The, the year before, we, we won the Western Conference here in Everett uh, as the number one seed. We lost the number eight seed. So we went through some humbling moments there that I thought helped me as we got in that first game of the event. And then obviously my time learning under Dave Cameron in the summer event who is the head coach now, the head coach of the Ottawa 67s. Um, you know, I was able to learn a lot about how he handled uh, situations. Now, we didn't lose any games there, but we had some close games and some trialing times. But uh, to see his calmness, 
uh, his demeanor. You know, obviously I, I try to learn everywhere I go from people I work with or I'm around with in the summertime and, and take different tidbits of, of what they do that I like and uh, bring into what, how I would like to coach. So um, never once, you know, did I feel like I, I wasn't uh, ready or prepared. Uh, there's also, it, it, it's hard not to, because you do have another voice in your head, you know, that's, challenging you here saying holy smokes you just lost the first game you know and and uh, I had my wife and girls with me I had to get them a separate room for a few nights because I needed some some time that I needed to think but at the end of the day it's an event that uh, I think I look back that what helped me get through those 48 hours was having my wife and kids there yeah. because yeah. when 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 your 10 year old and your 13 year old just look at you as dad it relieves a lot of that pressure you know and and, and don't like trust me I I was thinking a lot about it for those 48 hours, but um, I, I think the biggest thing was always trust your gut. I was told by Dave Cameron and you're in the position for a reason. So just keep be, believing in yourself. And I always remember going back to that. That is what Dave would, would always tell me. Well, and, and everything worked out because um, spoiler, you guys didn't lose a game moving forward and you went through the playoffs and, you know, and there were tons of challenges. Like look at the, you know, the Slovakia game. Everyone thinks, Canada Slovakia, okay, that's going to be I don't know, a five-one game, and it, and it takes Connor Bedard scoring one of the great goals in tournament history, and you get through them, and you beat the Americans, who are our big rivals in the semifinal. That was a really really tight game, um, and then as you pointed out, you get to face Czechia in the gold medal game, which I have to think is probably the team you wanted to face just so you you could get your redemption. Um, what what was your approach as as the leader of this team to make sure that the moment wasn't too big for your guys? Well, and and, and we're, we're surrounded by a lot of great uh, support staff. Luke Luke Medill is our mental performance coach, who does a great job in the evenings, um, debriefing, keeping guys even even keel. All our athletic therapists, trainers, equipmenters, everyone's bought into basically trying to relieve any pressure or tension and just let them play. And, and for my, uh, my discussion with them the, the night before was a, a really nice thing was put together that Luke did from all the parents, you know, of, of a, a memory of them growing up, you know, throughout. And it was a very emotional night, but one that we were one game away, as you said, we got to play check again. So we got to have a little bit of, of a say on, on, you know, at the end of the day of, of having some re- redemption against them, you know, and, uh, Obviously, our guys came out. I thought we played a really solid 50-minute game. Like, we were, I thought, in control. We were disciplined. Uh, we are managing pucks smartly. And then all of a sudden, it was 2-1. And it, it played flashbacks to the summer one. We're up 2-0 to Finland going in the third. You know, right. had control of the game. And then they score that second goal that goes off of a skate, off of a leg, and in the net. I'm thinking, oh, man, 2-2. <laughs> like, everything starts playing. The crowd goes silent. You know, for as loud as that crowd is throughout the event, it was like, oh, man, we're up 2 nothing. It's 2-2. You know, we get to overtime. And it was just all about keeping everybody relaxed, you know, off it and letting them know we're here for a reason. This team was selected for a reason. Re- reiterating the positives, why they're here. And then, uh, and obviously, the golden goal, great setup by Walward and Gunther uh, off it. But uh, the tournament doesn't go without hiccups, you know, and I think what you need to do is respect your opponents. The other countries have really gotten a lot of parity to their game. Uh, yeah. it, it's tight. You know, the year before Czechia beat us in the quarters, you know, through it and, and uh, us had us up uh, down two nothing. We had to battle back there. So if you look at how we got there, I think it really just shows that when you're in a one game event, you know, it, it's a lot tighter and, and tougher than what, what I think a lot of people really think off it. But what I was really proud of is the staff stuck together. 
the players stuck together. Everyone still had the same belief throughout it. And, you know, obviously that first game was a humbling moment, but I do think it was a big factor to our success as we move forward because we got behind in games. We didn't panic. There was no panic ever on our bench, you know, and, and people would always say, man, uh, they, you know, Hey Dennis, I didn't even see it once, you know, get upset. Well, my heart rate was probably 150, 155. I had to take my glasses off a couple right. times. You're fogging up because you're like, <laughs> looking up you're trying to manage the clock especially on those those games against the u.s where we challenge those goals yeah oh and and real credit to james emery and, and al latang they're the guys up top making that decision calling down to brent and obviously i have to make the final one but as a coach i'm sitting there looking at a three three what if we're not right they get the power play like this could be a huge swing but obviously we have the right people up top that know the rules and understand it so when all those when you when you're surrounded with the best of the best it it helps you with with your uh, decisions yeah especially the, that first goaltender interference where most yeah. people who don't know the rules thought there's no chance in what is Canada doing and oh my god you're going to give them a power play and like you know it's this again i go back to the the passion of canadian hockey fans they're all either yelling in the building or they're yelling at their tv screens you know what is dennis williams thinking here and then all of a sudden Two minutes later, you're right. You're like, Dennis Williams is the best coach in the history of this program, right? <laughs> yeah, it goes one way or another. That's why as coaches, we don't we don't watch or read too much. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and as much as I'm sure you wish that gold medal game was like a 5 nothing win, uh, as the television guy, thanks so much. That was a great script. You know, it was a great movie. Everyone was captivated. Uh, and And we got the finish. Um, that we won't want it. So Canada wins the gold. And, you know, there's a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast and, you know, they're, they, whether or not they're hockey fans or not, they're, you know, they find your story interesting. They find Team Canada's story interesting. But, um, you know, how does it relate to them? And and I think the biggest, one of the things that I always take from, from different coaches and general managers when I talk to them is how they manage personalities because pretty much all of us deal with other people in our business. And, you know, there's things that you can do that even I could do in the television business or someone working in the golf industry or, or in retail or in the, you know, uh, food and hospitality. Like it, it kind of it's it, it works for everything. So when you when you look at that team that had so much talent, like Connor Bedard could be the next Connor McDavid. Shane Wright could have easily gone number one in the last NHL draft. Uh, he went number four, but we know Bedard's going to go number one. Adam Fantilli's probably going to go number two. Um, so much talent. So, so you know, whether it's in sport or business, uh, how how do you manage personalities? How do you manage egos? You know, ever, like you always have them um, to make sure that everyone's on the same page and everyone's kind of working as one unit. Yeah, great, great question. That's a loaded question because it's not easy, and uh, it's you're still learning. You know, I, I have to continue to to change the way I look at things and communicate. But the communication is the biggest part. Um, when you're dealing with a team like Team Canada, as, as you said, there's a lot of different personalities. A lot of all these players are their first first line guys coming over the boards. A lot of them are centermen. They all play power play. Now they have to accept a third, fourth line role, penalty kill role. Um, I think the biggest part was making sure that everybody sees the value in 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 their role. Um, and part of it is, you know, back when I was younger, I got to be a top player. When I went to college, I was a fourth line player. So I, I understand what that's like. Uh, I've gone through those games where I've had five or six shifts, two shifts, no shifts, you know, and been asked to go out for a minute and a half and do my best. So I, I think 
if, if a lot of times, if you just focus on your, your best players, which you still got to give them time and, and talk to them and, and work with them, but making sure that all 13 forwards, all 70, both goalies all know that there's value to, for us to win and we need them on board and whatever it is and be the very best of what they can do. And, and for us, it's identifying early what role we expect. So they're clear knowing that they can come talk to myself or any staff member off it. Um, and then the other part, like for my coaching philosophy or leadership is, is I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stern and, and determined how we want to play without the puck. There's a certain way, but you also got to let these players have some freedom with the puck, you know, with it. So when you get guys in the offensive zone, you, you can't, you can't coach them like robots. They're, they're there and gifted for a reason. I can't tell Connor Bedard every time he's coming down the ice that he has to uh, dump a puck or deposit a puck. You know, now what we try to do is make sure he manages it. If it's a one-on-four, you know, we're going for a line change, then maybe that's not the right time, you know, to try to tote it right across the blue line and, and pull some some move, you know, off it. Uh, so that's when you want to really ask them to invest over to to the team. And a lot of people would think it's easy. And a lot of players tell you it's easy until they really dive dive into it. Uh, you get to the event and all of a sudden you're you're playing two, three minutes. Like that, that's tough for players. But I can tell you if we didn't have – good high character players, which uh, Al Miller, James Boyd, Scott Salmon, they, they've done their homework on these guys. So when we put our team together, it's not maybe necessarily the best players, but it's the right players, you know, and the right ones to fill into a, uh, we call it a ghost roster often and make sure that, you know, everyone can fit into a role, whether it's a penalty kill. So we had big D this year, you know, and we wanted big, strong D to be able to defend and protect the inside. And our penalty kill was great. Steph Julian ran that. Guys were blocking pucks heavy on guys. Uh, so everything was put together. But if you don't emphasize, I think, a value in, in that position, whether it's in work, whether it's on the ice, it's no different here with our club team. There's value in everything we have for, for all our staff and all our players. And if we don't communicate that with them, then I think that's where things can go disarray. So communication to us throughout the event was very key. And having whether it's just a quick 30-second one-on-one Maybe on the ice, maybe it's walking to lunch or wherever it is. But I think that that was a big factor for us. Yeah, and you, so much of that comes from experience, right? Because you have to see, you know, what what buttons you're pushing that actually works with certain players. And and I'm sure there's a lot of times where it, it doesn't work, and you learn more from that than than from the successes. And you know, as we reflect on your career and how you got to this place, I guess the worst question I could ever ask you is, have you ever faced any adversity? Because you know, show me a coach that hasn't. And, you know, it, it, was there ever a time where maybe you didn't get a job you thought you were going to get or, you know, you it didn't go the way that you wanted? And, and how did you learn from those experiences? Yeah, well, right away, I was I was a young coach, 29, maybe 30, as an interim coach at Bowling Green State University where I played. And I did my undergrad, my graduate work there. Um, I took over on a basis where the program was kind of in shambles. They weren't sure if they were going to, you know, they're talking about cutting it because of budget cuts back then and so forth. And I was in, in over my head for sure. Uh, I was, you know, you're, you're organizing alumni meetings to save the program as a 29 year old and trying to coach this team. And, and uh, I, I, when, when the job reopened, I was on an interim basis. I, I, I didn't get the job. And um, again, I was 30 years old. It was the first time I've never like made a team or I got cut or I didn't get a job. So it was my first real time that, you know, I was like, now, now what, what is it I do? And I remember 
how I felt this big, you know, I was tiny. I, I didn't know I wanted it. Am I in the right profession? You know, tell me, you know, like I, I didn't know what path to go from there because I was young, I was new to it. Uh, and I had a good friend, Dan Cole, who at the time was with the uh, U.S. development team, might've been with Alabama Huntsville, then he's a, a coach at Michigan State for the last five, six years. I remember he told me once that, you know, you're never a player till you've been traded. You're never a coach till you've been fired. And, uh, <laughs> so basically he told me, you know, like I needed to grow up and if you love coaching, go, go get a job, you know, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. And I was the interim head coach at an NCAA division one school. And I remember sitting there and I took a job in the North American league, like tier two down in Amarillo, Texas. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I have to find a job in Texas to coach. Like I, maybe I'm not cut out for this. If I got to get all the way down to Texas, like I can't find a job in Canada, you know, and being a Canadian. So, but lo and behold, everything does happen for a reason. I stuck to it. You know, I, I packed up the uh, minivan, my wife, my one daughter, a dog, and we drove to the Texas panhandle. And sure enough, that owner of that team owned the Bloomington team in the USHL. I started for him and he owns the Everett silver tips. So I took a job in the North American league 10, 12 years, 13 years ago, I worked for the same owner for 13 years, I think now pretty close. So I started his program in Amarillo. He bought a team in the USHL. I started his team there. And then now six years I've been in Everett, Washington. So if I didn't take that job, I've never met Bill Yule, who's given me this opportunity. And then with that, I would never got an opportunity to be with probably Hockey Canada because of the path that I was on. So everything happens for a reason. I, I didn't, I probably felt bad and sorry for myself for about 48 hours. And then I had to get back back on the horse and, and go go find another job well if, if only someone in that moment could tell you just go down to this you know uh, to the north american league you'll <laughs> meet a guy who's going to give you this great job down the road uh, you you'd save so much sleep right if it oh. was that easy <laughs> well, let me tell you, and, and i wouldn't trade and i know it's easy now but every spot i've been i've learned so much because you 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 coach different players at every level and, and you have a different appreciation. So when I was in the North American league, you're busting 15 hours, you're eating cold Domino's pizza, you know, you're, you're, you're grinding it, you know? And so every level that I've kind of was been fortunate enough to move up. I, I remember getting the USHL and everyone complaining about all the bus rides. I'm like, this is way better than the North American league, <laughs> you know, where I came from. And then you go to the Western hockey league and everything is, is better. And I think what it allows you to do is have a greater uh, appreciation for where you're at now, because you've, you've gone through those other levels, you know, you just didn't, you didn't jump steps. So in, in, in my case, I started in division one as an interim. And I thought, Oh, maybe if I got here, I could get a, you know, good contract and stay here at, at Bowling Green. But Hey, I was kind of kicked down a few rungs and, and, you know, looking back on it, it's probably the best thing that happened for me. Well, and, and that's all part of the process, right? Because in your business every day, you, you need to strive for more. Like you can't, there's no plateauing when it comes to, to being a coach. So, you know, for those listening, what would be your advice in, in, the, in that, in that way of trying to get better each day? Like what has worked for you as a coach and a leader and in, in that sense of, of trying to serve your team better each day? I think really it's, it's as coaches, we're, we're never satisfied. We're always trying to find the, the edge and with today's athletes and, and today's playing, I think it's more than the XOs, you know, off it like for us. So 
me, it's always trying to get something out of a conversation with somebody, you know, or, you know, reading, listening to, to sound bites and, and trying to implement it in, into our team. And, and, you know, I take advantage of all the stuff, you know, on social media, like, like uh, Twitter, Instagram, I follow all successor um, um, motivation type stuff. So I can always try to, to bring it in and, and adapt it into our culture and our team. And for me, our culture is the biggest piece. So I do a lot of reading on culture and I, I'm, I'm a big believer that if we have the right people in that locker room, then the ice will take care of itself, you know, and, and uh, for, for us, we've always been strong and true to that here and uh, not, and, and again, when we talk about culture, you talk about character and people and, and at our profession, our level, you know, a kid's going to make poor choices at 15, 16, that's mm-hmm. just in, 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 in uh, uh, inevitable that that's, that's them growing up. So, how, how do you educate them? How do you keep them in tune? How, how do you let them learn from those mistakes? And, uh, but I think really at the end of the day, we have to continue to be sponges in, in our, our, in, in our profession, in our world, and always try to get better. The minute we get uh, complacent, people will pass you. And I tell that to our players. So, you know, it's important as we always say to our players, be comfortable at being uncomfortable. We have to do that too, as coaches. And I always think in the back of my mind, someone's coming for my job. You know, that's how I, I, I don't, I hardly go home easy any day or night. And, and uh, you know, and, and I make sure for myself, I surround myself with the right support staff. I have great coaches. I have a great coaches in the past. I want coaches that challenge me. I want coaches that bring new ideas to the table so that we can become better as, as a team. So I think open mindset and knowing that at the end of the day, you know, you got to be a sponge and keep gathering as much uh, information as possible. You know, it's, it's it's important that you point out that, you know, you, you are dealing sometimes with a, a 15 or a 16 year old. And, you know, these are, I'll use the air quotes, young men, really, they're like young teens. And, you know, the maturation process is can vary so greatly from player to player. Um, and, you know, covering a junior hockey team, you know, it's not just the team, you know, it's, it's a part of the community and you're dealing with, with that aspect of it and, and how they deal with it. You're obviously dealing with kids and having to go to high school and, and having to, you know, you want them to do well academically. And those who don't make it to, you know, professional hockey are, are given the opportunity to go to, you know, post-secondary and get that education. So, you know, you, you joined the Silver Tips back in 2017 and the program has seen some major success since then. Uh, so, so kudos to you on that. What do you attribute to this change in, in culture and on ice success? And, and how did you approach it when you got the job? Yeah, I, well, I took over for a really good coach at the time with Ke- Kevin Constantine. Uh, and and um, great, great. They had great years there, too. And I think the biggest thing coming in was not disrupting the apple cart too much. You know, like I didn't want to come in right away and just start saying this is how we're playing and switching up our our systems and tactics and all that. What I looked at was we kept Mitch, Mitch Love stayed on staff with us, who is now um, he's up with Calgary, the Wranglers in the American league, where was Stockton's head coach. And then they moved up there. Uh, so having him stick around and that transition was really important throughout it. But basically it was, it was adding a little bit of how I wanted to play at, at a, a time, not all at once. So one thing ever was really good at was defending their play without the puck D zone. The players all knew that. So I kind of learned what they did the year before and kept that in there so that there wasn't a ton of change all at once. And then we started to uh, implement a little bit more each time. And, and really, I think it goes back to the communication with these guys. Like you said, they're 15, 16 to 20 year olds. Like that's a why I think it's the hardest coaching job in, in, in hockey. 
you have just such a wider range of guys that, you know, you got the 20 year old guy that's, that's done that may have a chance to play pro, but if not, he might, you know, he's going to use a secondary um, schooling as you sport money say. So how do you keep him motivated for the guy that's going to the NHL? You know, you have so many different levels and variables. So, um, you know, for us, it was coming in and, and, and just instilling a sense of accountability for everybody. It didn't matter if you're Owen Zellweger, you know, who we just moved to Kamloops, um, who's a, a second round pick to the Anaheim Ducks or Connor Dewar's playing in Minnesota right now. Like they were held to the same standard as everybody else. And if not a little bit more because of the expectations of them. So they didn't get away with cheating the game or stopping on pucks. And I think the younger players see that. And it's, it's been, I think a real positive as, as young players come in and say, well, Jackson Berezowski or 20 year old, who's two goals away from the all time record. He gets the same uh, expectations and, and, and standard as I do. And if not, probably a little bit more. So these, these players see that it's not just, Hey, these are your top players. They're in a different holding path over here. They can do whatever they want. That's not the case here in Everett because at the end of the day, all our decisions are based on the betterment for our club, not one person. And we've been true to that all the way through. We call it the tips way, you know, and we have seven different things we talk about. One of them is all my decisions I make will be the betterment for this club. So we had to make a tough trade uh, about two weeks ago and move Owen Zellweger and Ryan Hofer, which I've had since day one. And they're unbelievable young men, um, high character leaders, it was an emotional day for me because it was a tough one because I've, I've been, well, Olin Zellberg and I, we've been to the World Juniors for two years together and, and we've won two golds together and we've won a lot of hockey games here. But I felt at that time it was in the best interest for our program that, and it also put them in a position to be automatically in the um, uh, Memorial Cup, that it was a win-win for both. And as much as a lot of people said that was an unbelievable trade, you know, Dennis, it was probably one of the hardest days of my life. Because at the end of the day, when you when you trade two players that they weren't asking for trades, they didn't come in to demand trades. Like they were just as shocked as as everybody. And obviously, they heard the rumors. But when you have good good people like that, that's what makes the job r- real difficult. Is when you have to make those type of decisions. So we've been lucky over this time. We've we we look for the for the right person, not the best person. So we want to find the right pieces to come come here uh, into Everett to play. So. You know, you're, whether it's you with Team Canada or their silver tips, um, you know, as a coach, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast right now that are in a similar position in the sense that, you know, they they oversee, you know, 10, 15, could be 50 people, whatever the number is at a golf club, or they oversee clients, um, you know, and they're in that kind of leadership, same sort of leadership role. So um, as that, you know, coach as that person in that role, how do you get the the most out of your team? Um, that's sort of, you can be universally used. It's not just, um, you know, exclusive to hockey. Yeah. Well, because, because we're, we're at this level, we're, we're very, we're very demanding on how we want to play, how we want to execute things. But I think if you're to ask our guys, our players and our staff, my door is never closed till right now. And I've asked them to keep the music off out there because I'm close to the locker room. And, <laughs> and, and when we do video right now, uh, when they shut off the lights for video, it shuts off my lights. So I told them we had to bump video back. And, and there's such a, uh, you know, courteous group. They get all that. But really, I think at, at, at the end of the day, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's about balancing having fun. If, if like, I come to work every day and I love my job. There's never a day I come in and I'm like, oh, I got to go to the office. Like I'm here seven days a week. 
Mm-hmm. And, and even on days off, like I like just coming in here quiet on my own, but really every guy has to come by my office every day. They have to walk by it and it's right here, but they all have to say, hi, good, good morning. You know, like I don't want them going the back way to get, you know, all ready for, like, I want them to come in every day, say, hi, that's the first thing we should be doing. And for our players, we know there's games and so forth. We're not going to go our way, but you know, we always send out a, a reset button. You know, I send it to them on a text, you know, and they got to hit it. It's, it's a new day. You know, we, we got to, we got to build off yesterday. We all learned from it, but I think the balance of seeing that we, we love coming to the rink, our staff gets along. So they see the, the camaraderie, the enjoyment from, from our group, I think that helps out in our locker room, but at the really what it what it comes down to is 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 there every, everybody loves to be told when they do stuff well, you know. So you know it, it's it's the old adage of like you know when we're showing video, it's it's showing positives that that complement areas of improvement. It's making sure players here, which are staff out there, even for the smallest job, like I know everything. A guy gets a puck out or fourth liner, he's got to be told great job on that. Yeah, that's enough where he goes. All right. We, we, you know, they call me Willie, you know, Will, it's great because you know what? Willie saw that, you know, like we try to see everything. So it's not just the guys who score. So I think showing appreciation and again, giving them value in what they do and knowing that guys that like players ice time on our, on our team will never be predicated on goals or assists. They'll be playing the game right without the puck, which all of us should be able to do and, and compete. Now at our level, some guys don't, they, they lose the compete because of strength, 15, 16 year olds versus 20 year olds. So, but really at the end of the day, I think it's, it's a sense of appreciation of work they do. And I've learned it more about our assistants because when I was assistant at the Helenkin world juniors, that's the only time I've really been an assistant coach for 18 years. So now I know, you know, all the work they do, we sometimes take for granted as head coaches. So we have to make sure we re- we reiterate to them just how thankful we are for the type of job they do for us. That's a great message. And I, I, I think of the the um, sort of example that Lou Lamorello made. I think he was in Toronto when he, when he said it, where like a team is like an orchestra, right? Someone's yep. got to be on percussion. Someone's got to play the violin. Someone's got to play horns or the tuba, you know, and everything. And so not everyone, you know, you don't have a full team of, of goal scorers. Uh, a, because it's tough to do. And, and B, you know, you'll never win that way. Um, Dennis, I, I, I want to end with this question and I don't want it to come off as, as negative. So I'm, I'm not going to ask you what your biggest mistake has been, I want to know what your best mistake has been that's helped you down the road. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. My best mistake. In the, in the sense that, you know, you, you, you've obviously learned from it. You look back and, and, and you're almost thankful that you made that mistake because, you know, it, it helped you become, you know, the successful coach that you are today. Yeah, and we, we make a ton of them. Let me start with that. <laughs> Coaches wow. make someone on live television me too <laughs> yeah like, like we, we make a ton and, and i think you know 20 years ago um we probably overreacted at a lot at how we coach you know with mm-hmm. players and and today's generation and in today's players there's so much more video that you know we can do like this morning coming in here i met with two players you know, uh, just to go over some of the shifts from Wednesday night and, and, and they're a wealth of knowledge. And I think when, when I, I, I think what I've learned from is that I, I don't micromanage anymore. I used to want to be everywhere. Like I wanted to have, you know, 
I always say, like, I want to be involved in the power play, the penalty kill, the five on five, the goal. Like, I want to know everything that was going on. I want to know about every meeting a coach had with a player. Like, I needed to know everything. And now I think what has really helped me is being able to step back and I've hired the right people to do the right job and let them do their job. Much like I feel like our my owner, Bill Yule, you know, he's never gotten involved with any decisions I made for hockey ever. And it, it feels good that I don't have a guy over my shoulder critiquing every move. So I think back in the day when I was a younger coach, I was probably more of this, this alpha I had to be everywhere, do everything. Everything had to come through me. Everything had to be approved. Now, you know, Dave Struge, Dean De Silva, they have the rope, you know, as coaches. And, and I thought that was one thing that really helped me with hockey Canada this year was, and one thing I learned from Dave Cameron in the summertime, we have certain guys that run power play penalty kill that I don't have to be in all those. We have great coaches that can do the job and let them do their job because they're hired to do that. So I think the, the one thing I've learned is to be able to step back let players do their job, let equipment managers, trainers, let the assistant coaches do their job because we fired them for, for a reason. That's great. It's a, it's a great message. And, uh, you know, Dennis, I think that there's so much that you, you spoke about during this episode that it's going to help out a lot of people and it has nothing to do, you know, obviously we're not talking to a bunch of other uh, hockey coaches, although there could be a couple hockey coaches maybe listening to this, but you know, there's so many people I think that will take a lot from, uh, from your leadership and your success. So, I um, want to thank you for, for taking the time. Obviously, uh, uh, as a coach, especially in season, you're super busy. I'm sure you have uh, video and practices and games uh, coming up throughout this. Uh, we're taping this on a weekend. So um, thank you so much. Congrats again on winning gold with Team Canada. Best of luck with the silver tips. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. There you have it, Dennis Williams. And we want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of T-Talks Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean for up-to-date podcast alerts and early access. This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living.